the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, The Finance Coast and Mohamed Nalla. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. Welcome to episode 55 of Magic Markets. Mo and I have been through a pretty tough couple of days. We've, we've arrived on the show almost on fire, I think, Mo, but we've made it. And we're ready to record Magic Markets Premium straight thereafter, where we'll be doing a show on Visa, which is going to be incredibly interesting, but from one international company to another. So we've got Andres Retif with us, and uh, he lives in Poland now. As you might guess from his name, he's a South African expat, but you would not guess from his accent, as you will shortly find out. Mo still manages to sound South African. He always wants to do his North American accent, so maybe he'll cheat us to that tonight. But Andres certainly doesn't sound very Afrikaans. But both of you, welcome. Yeah, thanks, Coast. Uh, always a pleasure being on the show with you. And it's great to have a guest like Andres here, uh, because then you can tease someone else about something. Andres, lovely having you on Magic Markets, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Mo. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ghost. Good to be here. And um, I'm going to have to now try and really work on not sounding Afrikaans or South African just to not let you down. But um, good to speak to you guys tonight. You're doing a good job there already. That There was a lot of German in there. I don't, I don't know what was in there, but it was not uh, not your free state upbringing. So perhaps on that note, Andres, I think just for the listeners, it would be lovely to spend a couple of minutes just understanding you know, your background just very briefly and, and what it is you've done that makes you so interesting for us to have you here on Magic Markets, which we're excited about. Sure. You've already said some of that. Grew up in the free state, small town called Frieda. Spent most of my primary schooling there. My parents then wanted to go and visit a big city, so we moved to another small town called Armelua, which is where I matriculated from. And then I think that's at that point where my my life maybe took a slightly different direction. Most 18-year-olds, at least where I grew up, uh, except that's not common for everybody, but where I grew up, went to varsity, studied full-time, you know, got a job, got married, etc. I, at 18, joined a company called Highfeld Steel and Vanadium. At the time, was owned by Anglo-American and uh, during my time, they had a, an ownership change to Everest Steel. Studied and worked at the same time and worked on earning a, a BCom financial management degree. Studied that for UNISA. And that was quite a tough introduction, I suppose, into the world of corporate as an 18-year-old and trying to, to get a degree. But I'm a, I'm a finance qualified professional. I've been in finance for, for a couple of years in Highfeld Steel, then joined DHL at the age of 23 or 24, I don't recall, and spent five years with the company in South Africa, specifically in our supply chain division, all of that in, in finance. And at that point, I felt I wanted to do something else. So I, I left DHL, but I also left South Africa for one year and um, went to live in Kampala, Uganda. Uh, that was big cultural change from Pretoria, Johannesburg to, to Kampala and joined Damco, Damco Logistics, which is part of the AP Moller Group. Um, you, might, you might know them as a CFO. And at that point, and both of you are finance professionals, maybe you'll enjoy this. At that point, I wanted a real job. So I left the finance field 
and joined the, the real general management side of logistics um, and supply chain and spent a bit of time in Kenya, in Nairobi for three years. And I've spent the last four years in, in Poland. And the last two of those four, I've been looking after our supply chain business for Central and Eastern Europe. So the big city lights of Ermelo, huh? That is statistically significant. I would wager that you are the only export from Ermelo to land up in an executive management role in Poland. I'm certain of it. I feel like it's quite a niche. I think there's only about 200 South Africans in Poland in general, so my chances are pretty good of not finding someone else from Armelu, I'd say. I think there are more properties owned in Poland by South African property funds than there are South Africans in Poland, based on that comment. That is pretty true. Yeah, I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah, Andres, I think, I mean, I find that background so fascinating. And, and what's beautiful as, as a South African who lives globally is that you find South Africans all over the show. The diaspora is growing. Uh, and so it's a real privilege having a South African but international voice, other than mine, on this show, because I think that's really what Magic Markets brings to the party. It's what we bring to our listeners, is global perspectives with a South African flavor. And really, I think where we want to go with the discussion today is you're currently sitting at the nexus of one of the most pressing issues globally, and that's supply chains. I mean, we had a show a couple of weeks ago where we kind of touched on supply chains. It was around the time, if memory serves, when the Evergreen went and blocked the Swiss Canal. And that's really when supply chain became an important concept for the average man on the street. I mean, historically, it were executives like you who looked at supply chain. It was people managing their global production. And so I want to maybe just start off there is that supply chain up until now has not been the front of mind. But right now, it is the front of mind because it's starting to create global bottlenecks that create global shortages that feed into global inflation. And so it has a bearing that is much wider than just the logistics industry or much wider than just a specific company. I mean, you know, for, for our loyal listeners and for, for our subscribers in Magic Markets Premium, we've touched on a couple of stocks and those range from Monster Energy Drinks to, for example, Ford or Nike or even Etsy at a much smaller scale that are all citing supply chain in their earnings releases as a, a bottleneck, as an impediment to business. What is your on the ground experience right now? I mean, what's the pressing issue and do we get through it? Mo, I think you've said it, right? I mean, if you compare to 2019, if you just take it two years back, the average consumer doesn't talk about supply chain. Now, now everybody does. You just have to open any newspaper, every, any daily, every, anywhere in the world, and there'll be a comment about supply chain somewhere in it, right? And I think, as you say, no sector or no industry has been unaffected. You know, whether or not you are in e-commerce, you're probably looking for labor to help your fulfillment and your, fulfilling the demand. If you are um, trying to build cars, you need microchips. If you're a retailer, you're either waiting for stock or you have too much of it and you need overflow, overflow storage right now, right? If you are a transport company you, or you need goods delivered, you need a truck driver. I mean, if you want to build a warehouse or anything else, you need steel. All of these things currently are in, being impacted. And I don't think ever before that's all happened simultaneously. From that perspective, this is, this is new, this is different, this is challenging. All of a sudden, the conversation about supply chain is no longer just something that happens in boardrooms. It's something that happens around the braai, you know, or something that happens at the dinner, day, dinner table. And um, everyone has a story to tell about something that either as an entrepreneur or in their corporate jobs or whatever they do for a living, somewhere, somehow is impacted by the supply chain. So that's put the industry that I've spent the last 12 years in very much in the spotlight. Um, I think the industry has reacted very well, I have to say that. And I think my colleagues and, 
and peers in the businesses have really gone beyond, above and beyond to try and respond to that as far as possible. But um, yeah, it has, been a, it has been a tough ride, I'd say, and um, something that we haven't seen before. And Andres, in terms of how localized it is, I mean, you're sitting in Eastern Europe, so we read about supply chain globally. I mean, when we did the Nike show, as I recall correctly, it, it was something like double the length of time to get the shoes from Vietnam to the US as it had been before COVID. Now, obviously, that's a very specific trade route. So mm -hmm. just for my own interest, because it is a really interesting space, I think the the concept of moving all this stuff around the world and these hubs, I would imagine, you know, where you might be sitting now, for example, it's just so interesting. It really, really is. And the other thing that's become incredibly topical is logistics property funds are commanding premiums to book value. So everyone else mm -hmm. is trading at fat discounts. You know, there are, there are vacancies in office properties of 30, 40%. Logistics mm -hmm. properties packed, being let out on great yields. And, you know, there's one or two um, logistics property funds on the JSE that are trading at a significant premium to NAV. So yeah, you really are sitting in this suddenly, and you'll understand where that's coming from, incredibly sexy industry in a way of like, people are talking about it around the bra. It's affecting businesses everywhere. How local is it? Like, what's the story in Eastern Europe versus the rest of the world? Are there going to be areas that will ease up sooner than others? How does this practically work? Yeah, I think just I was listening to one of your Magic Markets free shows. I'm not sure if it was the last one or the one before that, where you spoke about vacant space in Santon being close to 70,000 square meters, right? And I was thinking to myself, that is the complete opposite of what we're seeing in the logistics space. I, I mean, a, a, the warehouse facilities are, you, you're absolutely there at a premium. The, the yields are better than they've ever been before. So, in our industry, that's completely the opposite from the typical office space um, environment. And that is not unique at the moment to one market over another. Of course, there's always some differences, you know, some localized differences between markets. But in general, across Europe, for example, there is a truck driver shortage today, if, you, if you're just talking about truck drivers. The latest statistics I've seen says that there is a 17% shortage in last year, that was 5%. So you could argue that you, that shortage has tripled um, in the space of 12 months. And that's across the EU. And it's not easier in Poland than it is in uh, Germany than it is in Spain to find a truck driver. They are, they are an equally scarce commodity. So I, I think the industry at large on a global level is under that level of pressure. Real estate is at a premium in most markets. And... Uh, as I said at the start, it, it is a challenging time, but it, it, it is also quite an interesting time, as you say. Yeah, I, I want to pick up on that because I think you've, you've touched on a couple of key points and it almost lends itself to, is this a supply chain issue? Is it specifically a labor issue that has been brought on by pandemic? Because, I mean, up in North America, I think there's a large labor component. There were the stimulus checks that kept a lot of people, I guess, disincentivized from going back in. There's that question. But the other question I really want to kind of hinge on is that this, on a macro level, plays itself to greater regionalization at the end of the day. It's the reverse of globalization, and it plays towards greater regionalization. And that might mean that in the logistics industry specifically, or maybe warehousing, it's really hot now, and maybe warehousing survives the onshoring trend. But what about the other parts of the value chain? What happens to truck drivers when Amazon invests in driverless trucks and they finally get that across the line three or four or five years down the line? What are some of those bigger structural changes in your view? 
Yeah, I think, Mo, there's a couple of things in there, right? And I'll be a bit, a bit long-winded, perhaps, in my response. But I think the one thing we're seeing now is that the whole topic of supply chain resilience is back, in, back on the table. For many years, it was around efficiency. And it still is. It's not going to go away. And there's a, there's a need for supply chain organizations to still be cost competitive. But it's finally being balanced off by resilience and the ability to be sustainable. So I think that's, that's the one thing to look out for. As far as some of the specific trends we are seeing, I think you touched on the topic of automation, and, and that could be driverless trucks. That could also be automation in a warehouse. And of course, technology is part of building that resilient supply chain, no doubts. But I, I don't believe we're moving to a future where we are going to replace the work that people do completely with the work of robots um, or driverless trucks. I think we're working, working more towards the space where we're going to talk about cobots or collaboration robots, right, where we could put man and machine next to each other. That opens up another interesting discussion, which is around, you know, what does the future of work look like for people that are in the industry today? Um, and how has COVID-19 driven that? And if you want, you could then open up another avenue which talks around the different generations and how this has accelerated the move towards, you know, the need for people to be in supply chain. And those are generally from a different generation that typically would work in supply chain. And how does the industry then cater for that? So I think there's, there's many interesting, and, and you used the words earlier, ghost sexy, many sexy things happening with, uh, in the industry. But I don't see the, the future being man or machine. I, I, I see it being both working side by side and that way trying to build that resilient supply chain amazing to see how something like the pandemic has caused these shocks in the system so we have airline pilots who can't get work and there aren't enough truck drivers i mean mm-hmm. that's just the most spectacular thing in the world right <laughs> you know it really it really is um andres i mean i wanted to ask you because I, I don't know a huge amount about poland i must be honest other than reading about the property funds that is something that i obviously see a lot what sort of goods are you generally moving i mean obviously in would be all the normal stuff because people around the world consume much the same stuff, right? And they import it where they can't get it locally. But in terms of the exports and stuff going out the door, I'm, I'm just curious, any insights into that Eastern European economy that South Africans would find interesting? Well, I'd be a bit stereotypical. Let's say you'd find vodka. That's always in, in, in high supply. You know, the, as the Polish says, you, you, they, they grow quite a lot of potatoes and you only have really two choices. You either make pierogi, which is a form of dumplings, or, or make vodka from potatoes. So there's, there's quite a bit of that. But um, I think Poland per se is, is also got quite a large domestic consumption. It's, it's 45 million people country. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of the product is consumed locally. But I think what you, there's, there's not, it's not fundamentally different to what you would see in, in most markets. What, what's quite exciting about this part of the world, it is still an emerging economy inside the European Union compared to Western Europe. So you see the, the real acceleration around e-commerce, especially over the last two years. I think everyone has seen those statistics that says, you know what, the pandemic has put us forward five years in the e-commerce journey around the world. In Poland, that perhaps is even more because they're catching up. So I think that, that you'd start to see more of. And yeah, those are, those are typically the areas we'd look at in, inside the, the geography. Yeah, I think I, I want to almost go back Andres, I want to go back to your point, because I think this is probably for me the most critical point, is efficiency versus resilience. I mean, supply chains have been optimized for the longest time, as you indicate, on efficiency, on lower cost. Now, a shift to resilience has 
two, for me, two pressure points. One is obviously the pricing pressure point because in order to build a more resilient system, it's meaning costs arguably will increase either through investment or just even at the margins, higher labor costs, etc. And that's going to filter through in terms of entrenching arguably a higher price level and inflation globally. We've kind of touched on that. But the other point I really want to get to is resilience when it comes to globally or regionally in terms of matters of what are now being deemed, certainly in the U.S., as national security, semiconductor shortages. Now, what implication does this have for players in the logistics industry, whether that's warehousing or operators, in terms of a margin? Because if you push that cost onto your customer, that's fine. You preserve your margin. If you can't, that erodes the margin. And then lastly, in terms of just overall activity levels, as people start building their supply chains for resilience might mean, again, going back to the onshoring versus offshoring point, might mean lower volumes globally, shipping volumes and so forth. Maybe just show two points on that very, very quickly. Yeah, I think the point around nearshoring or offshoring is quite topical at the moment. I, I mean, there's a, there's a number of companies out there that are asking themselves, is it the right thing to do to put all our eggs in one basket, so to say? You know, is it the right thing to, to, to completely rely on one part of the world for our distribution center, for our procurement? And I think that is a difficult question to answer in a blanket statement because it does depend on the industry and the sector. But um, definitely we will see companies reorganize their supply chains and that would include taking up space in markets where they are not today. I don't believe that automatically means we would have less activity. I think it would flow differently, but would it flow less or more? I, I, I think that, again, is a bit very sector specific, Mo. As far as the point goes around, um, around volume, I think the other part that we see, and, and if you look at that, especially from an e-commerce perspective, you hope that would come eventually from a retail perspective. There is still a growth rate out there, right? And that, that, that volume that gets reorganized, if you match that up with, with growth over the next coming years, I think the volumes would not necessarily go down. It might take a while before they start going up again. I'm, I'm pretty confident that we would still see those industries grow with it. I think the, the discussion around price and, and, and margin, yeah, I think companies are under pressure. That is, that is the balancing act. Um, a, a resilient supply chain that costs you an arm and a leg and, and, and breaks the bank doesn't help, right? And that's where the whole discussion around technology and automation comes back in. Because can we make those investments now to make sure that we can create some sort of predictive cost in the future uh, that helps us to then really have the leverage to grow and, and, and control our costs? So I think that those are the discussions that are being had around the world in supply chain boardrooms and in companies' um, supply chain management teams at the moment. Yeah, I'm just super glad that you could touch on some of those. I mean, never expecting e each of those questions or themes are things we could unpack in an entire show by itself. So again, I think the purpose of asking it really, and thanks for your answer, is to plant some of these seeds with our listeners. You know, we always try and bring them into the boardroom discussions. You know, it's not something that's necessarily disseminated that widely. It's why we bring some of this out there to our listeners. So thanks so much. And again, I think there's so much more for us to unpack. I mean, Ghost, cognizant of time, I've, I've got nothing more to add or ask. I I think it's been fascinating. And as always, whenever we have our guests on, there's so much more depth that we'd, we could go into. But that's really, I guess, why we point our listeners towards the various platforms, whether that's, you know, my blog, monos.com, or your blog, The Finance Ghost, or even our premium product, which is Magic Markets Premium. So from my side, I just want to say, 
Thanks, Andres. This is probably or hopefully not the last time we speak to you because I just think that there's so much more here beneath the surface, which is our Magic Markets tagline, uh, that we're going to have to unpack with you and maybe have you back on to, to future shows as well. No, not so fast. I have one more very important question. DHL is the partner to Formula One. And uh, I do like a bit of Formula One. So, Andres, I'm curious. Number one, have you ever gotten tickets to a race? Because you're a cool senior person at DHL. Number two, is there anything you can do to Lewis's car before the next race, you know, while it sits in storage? I'm not a fan of Max, but I'm less of a fan of Lewis. So, any assistance, grateful. So, to answer the first question, yes, I do get to go. And it's great fun to be there. The second one, I'd answer this way. I'd just say, Max for the win on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a big fan myself, and um, it's fascinating to see what our motorsport team does, by the way, on, uh, on that part of the logistics game. And uh, that's an incredibly high-pressure job, as you can imagine, and uh, with high stakes. Fascinating to see that from a behind-the-scenes perspective. And hopefully everything goes well this weekend, and, uh, and Max wins the, wins the race. The back end of F1 logistics must be... That's almost a whole nother show. You could talk about that thing for hours and hours, I think. <laughs> you know what is cool is how popular F1 has suddenly become. I think Netflix is the world champion of 2021, because yeah. Drive to Survive next year is going to be epic. And yeah. Uh, yeah, again, it's like, you know, there's no truck drivers now. Suddenly F1 is super popular. I've watched it since I could walk, but everyone now talks about it. The world is about cycles. And uh, Andres, you're in the middle of one. And it must be very exciting. So thank you for taking the time to join us. And uh, yeah, it would be lovely to have you back sometime. I'd be happy to be back. Thanks for having me. And uh, great to chat to you guys tonight. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.